now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. Week two is in the books. The Patriots are now one and one. lot to get to. An amazing week that was in the NFL. Things are still going on as we speak. I am Alex Shane, here to break it all down with Rich Hill. Rich, A, how are you doing? And B, where the hell do we start with this podcast? Uh, I'm doing well. There's so much to cover. This was... A pretty busy le- a busy week for the league right now, especially for week two. A lot happening. A lot that maybe we can start making some serious judgments on. And I think right now it's a good time to start by going around the league and just talking about some of the these results because I want to talk about the Buffalo Bills so badly. Two weeks <laughs> in a row, they were knocked out by the Baltimore Ravens in the first week of the season, 47-3. to They followed that up with a 31-20 loss against the Los Angeles Chargers. And the Bills are in such bad shape that they tossed out Josh Allen, rookie first-round pick who looked like a rookie fifth-round pick. And they were very sub-mediocre. But they were also just in such turmoil on their defense that starting cornerback Vontae Davis retired at halftime. He retired at halftime. Have you ever seen anything like that before? You know, it's funny. Uh, if you look back, there's actually a, a Patriots player, a receiver, whose name escapes me in the 70s, the 70s Patriots. He uh, decided to quit, and he, he got it at halftime, and he got dressed and drove home and was cut subsequently after that. I forgot his name. I should know this. I should know my Patriots history. But he didn't retire. He just kind of had a fit and left. This guy straight up retired. Vontae Davis apparently is no longer in the NFL. I've never heard of a guy retiring at halftime. If you have a bad game, you're not feeling it, you retire on Monday or Tuesday the following week, fine. But, man, the Buffalo Bills right now through two weeks are the worst team in the NFL, and it's not even close. Dude, Vontae Davis played 29 snaps in that first half, and then he called it a career. He called it a career because he's just looking at this Buffalo Bills team and saying, it's not worth it. It's just not worth yeah. it. You just see how much the rest of their entire roster is just in shambles. It's not good. It's not good for the Bills. I feel bad for Josh Allen. He's in the worst possible situation for any young quarterback, especially for one that needs so much time. I think through two weeks, we can assuredly say that the Bills are the worst team in the NFL. I would be just tickled if I have to eat my words by the end of the season, but I would not be shocked if the Bills finish the season with a top three pick. Oh, yeah, I mean, again, they're not going to go 0-16. They'll sneak out a win in there, but 2-14, and based on what we've seen so far, is very much in the books. They are the worst team in the NFL. I'll tell you, though, man, I think the best team in the NFL right now, for my money, are the Kansas City Chiefs, as they tend to do. They just absolutely cannot put together their own way when it comes to scoring touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes seems like the real deal. He's got 10 touchdowns through two games, an NFL record. 42 points on the Steelers, who are also kind of in shambles right now. They're chirping each other, and there's some kind of locker room turmoil. And on the other side of the the, the, the NFL and the NFC, the Rams look very legit right now. They absolutely destroyed the Cardinals 34 to nothing. Who's your who's your who's your best team in the NFL, Richard? The Rams, the Chiefs, somebody else you want to talk about? Well, I think the best team in the AFC right now has to be the Kansas City Chiefs. And it's very important to say right now, because as you mentioned, this happens with Andy Reid's teams every single year. They'll go on a rip toy, you know, starting 10 to 0 to start the season. 
And then the wheels start falling off because they don't make adjustments. Teams have it on tape. They're they're kind of they're figured out a little bit, you know. And so yeah, sure. Travis Kelsey's looking great. Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins are two really good wide receivers, and Kareem Hunt rounds out a really strong offense. Ken, uh, Fuller at cornerback is another great pickup that they had. That was a great trade that they did. Uh, but you allow 37 points to the Le'Veon Bellis Steelers. You allow 138 receiving yards and a touchdown to tight end Jesse James. Yeah, you're not a great defense. And so that's why I definitely point to the Rams as being the best team in the league right now. They shut out the Cardinals 34-0. to Brandon Cooks, old friend, 159 receiving yards. Todd Gurley had three rushing touchdowns. There's nothing they can't do. They were just swarming the Arizona Cardinals. Sam Bradford, 90 passing yards. 90. That's unheard of in this current NFL right now. So Rams, they are the best team in the NFL. It's unbelievable. I I don't see any team in probably the entire league getting in their way, barring some serious injuries. No, it's true. Again, we're obviously overreacting here a bit. It is week two. And I think come week seven, week eight, week nine in the NFL, this is going to be a very different complexion of this league, offensively, defensively, AFC, NFC, and perhaps none more indicative of that than the Patriots game we watched on Sunday where the Vikings, excuse me, the Jaguars pretty easily handled the Patriots. It was just one of those games where it was just too hot. It was Florida, whatever it was. The Pats did not show up. They kind of woke up in the third quarter and had a chance to come back, and then they gave a big touchdown. Jaguars looked great, a well-deserved win. Rich, what are your kind of overall knee-jerk reaction to this game, and are you at all worried about the Patriots? So I, I was tasked with writing the winners and losers from this game between the Patriots and the Jaguars, and I just had such a tough time figuring out anyone on the Patriots that I could classify as a winner. You know, J- James White had a solid game, 73 receiving yards, 11 rushing yards, but that wasn't, like, otherworldly. And Stephon Gilmore, he allowed a touchdown early, but he was locked down for pretty much the rest of the game. That's kind of it. You know, a hat tip to Sonny Michel for making his NFL debut. That's great to see. Jacob Hollister looked like he can be a contributing receiver at number two behind Rob Gronkowski. But Gronk had 15 receiving yards on the day, nine of which came on the very first passing play of the game. Rex Burkhead did not do much whatsoever. And so the offensive side, eh. You know, Trent Brown had his, his uh, you know, he was taken by the Jaguars' defensive front. Yannick Ngakwe just had his way. Kalias Campbell did some damage, particularly against Adrian Waddle. No one on the offense of the Patriots' side, not even Tom Brady, I would say, did a great job. I would say maybe, maybe James White did a pretty good job. You know, it's just not a lot to, to write home about. And you could say the same thing about the defense. So this was a very underwhelming game for the Patriots' offense. And everything from the start in the first quarter seemed to go the Jaguars way. Yeah. Again, I I think I I harp on this all the time. Every year, this seems to happen to the Patriots, be it a good team or a bad team, a team they should beat or whatever it is. They just, they just don't show up. It happened against Miami last year down in Florida. Ironically, Uh, it happened uh, with the Cleveland Browns or the Eagles. And they're really bad. You can always point to this one game where just, they decide not to play football. And it totally shows Tom Brady was what? 24 completion for 230 yards, two TDs. That's a fine day, I guess, but that's not anything remotely Brady-like. The leading rusher was Sony Michelle with 34 yards on 10 carries. They could not move the ball on the ground. Receivers couldn't get separation. And like we see every year with defenses that are – the offense, excuse me, that allow this, 
long, sustained drives, very high percentage passes, stretch runs for five, six yards at a clip, and they methodically march down the field and score. It's very easy to beat the Patriots if you can do that. This is not some new formula, and the Jaguars did it, and they get all the credit, and they deserve to be celebrating their victory today. And that's all there is to it. But I personally am not worried. I think if these two teams meet again for a couple reasons we can talk about in a bit, two, two very different teams. And this offense is still very much a work in progress, and they'll figure it out. They always do. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at the Jaguars' offense. They, they were 10 of 14 on third down. And you look at the opening drives or two with the Patriots. Goskowski, you know, clearly shanks that field goal. It's 54 yards, so it's not a gimme, but it's something that he has made in the past. So that's one play. Another play, uh, you know, Trey Flowers forces a fumble. It bounces right into the hands of DJ Chark, a Jaguars receiver who carries it, I think, what, five, six yards, picks up a first down as a result of a forced fumble. That's some great fumble luck and great fumble result for the Jaguars. Immediately afterward, Trey Flowers gets concussed by Keontae Davis. That's terrible luck. I hope he's okay. Everything seemed to go against the Patriots' way. Not saying that there was any calls that went against them, clearly. I know that there were a few iffy ones where like maybe there should have been a rough and passer by the current rules, but I'm happy that they let them play through it. But Everything that was a 50-50 thing from like a pure luck standpoint, including that, that Keeling Cole grab that was a one-hander, I believe it was over Eric Rowe, that was just mind-bogglingly amazing. Any sort of play that could have been, you know what, if they got it, that was an incredible play. If they didn't get it, that's probably what I would expect to happen 80% of the time, not even a 50-50 thing. Everything went the Jaguars' way. You look at the other side of the coin, and if you meet them, these two teams again, it's not 97 degrees outside. All that luck, you know, and it is luck in certain circumstances, don't go in the Jaguars' favor. We're looking at an entirely different game. We are. Not only that, there's a couple of plays. There's like the Kyle Van Noy pick, that no, and they, they didn't get a chance to get the field goal. They should have gone forward on fourth and inches. I think Tom Brady's the best sneaker in the game, and that ended up punting, and a touchdown happened. So there's one or two plays, as is all football games. I'm not like saying this is anything unique or anything like that, but I don't know if the score was as indicative, especially late, uh, of what the Patriots could have done. When they brought it to what was it? It was thirteen to twenty-four, or thirteen to twenty-four, I believe. Yep. And, and Kyle Van Noy had that pick. I'm like, here we go. They're gonna come back and win it again. But uh, one thing I liked and I appreciated about Jacksonville this time versus last time is they've been, always had a kind of a monkey on their back of not being able to close out games, choking under pressure, not being able to adjust. And they did that. They deserve to win. And uh, it was I don't know. Maybe I'm getting soft in my old age, man. But when like when there's just Jaguars fans like going nuts in the stands over a week to win. It's kind of nice to see. It is. <laughs> well, yeah, you got Miles Jack, their starting linebacker, being like, this is the biggest game of my career. It's like, all right, cool. Yeah. That's good for you. Good for you. You yeah. won it. Congratulations. That's fantastic. I will say, though, that this game is not without question marks that I have because the Jaguars revealed that the Patriots have a lot of issues on defense that they had all of last year. And Corey Grant, six catches for 56 yards out of the Jaguars' backfield. That is what Corey Grant did last year in the AFC Championship game against the Patriots. And the Jaguars just continued to exploit the Patriots' linebackers in coverage. Dante Hightower looks a step slow. Juwan Bentley looked like a rookie. And you just take those crossers over and over and over again, get the Patriots' linebackers isolated in coverage. It's an easy pickup because for whatever reason, Bill Belichick looks at linebackers and say the prototypical thing of getting a 260 pound guy 
is what he wants, despite the fact that we're seeing these 230-pound linebackers like Jaguars' own Telvin Smith be super successful, being light enough to cover these running backs out of the backfield, and the Patriots don't have anyone like that on their roster capable of doing that. And every single team that the Patriots are going to face in this postseason has a running back that is capable of exploiting their linebackers, whether it's Kareem Hunt of the Chiefs, you know, Le'Veon Bell of the Steelers. We already saw what the Jaguars are able to do with Cord Grant, TJ Yeldon as well, and then Leonard Fournette comes back. That's another one. So there are plenty of players that are capable of picking the Patriots' linebackers apart in coverage. And so New England needs to find a solution for that, or else this is going to be their Achilles heel in 2018. The good thing is, Rich, they will. On the plus side, think about last year when they were 2-2 two and two in September and our gripe was not coverage linebackers are worried about the running back. Our gripe was there's 15 or 20 yards between the cornerback and the receiver. And he <laughs> walked into the end zone, stopped on the goal line, had a Coke, and then walked in. That was the so problem true. we were having last year. And they figured that out as well. They finished with the top 10 defense. They always figured this stuff out. I really believe that the Patriots use September as an extended preseason. They know the games are as important as the last four games of the year. They usually go three and one, two and two. They'll probably do that again this 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 September. They're kind of trying some plays out, trying some combinations out, trying some formations out, offensively, defensively, and they'll figure it out. Uh, and if they aren't going to figure it out, and that's going to be a problem, but I'm going to be a little more lenient on that until maybe early October or so. Yeah, they, they definitely have earned themselves some time just due to the track record and success of Bill Belichick. I know Brian Flores is new, but he's been around for a long time. They know how to play it out. This is always what the Patriots do. They run some stuff vanilla, figure out the strengths of the current players on their defense. Around week six or so, they'll start implementing a little more specific type of plays based off of the skill sets of the defenders. They spend the next six weeks really specializing in that. And then down the final stretch of the season, they look lights out. People are like, oh, why can't they do this from week one? This is just their process. They know what they're doing. They're going to be fine. I do have one more question, though, and it's a little bit of an iffy one. You look at the Patriots' offense, Philip Dorsett, 44 yards on five receptions. Chris Hogan, 42 yards and two touchdowns on three receptions. Cordell Patterson, 18 yards on three receptions. There wasn't, like, a standout wide receiver on the Patriots' offense. What are they going to do there? Yeah, it's a good question. This receiving core is really depleted. Edelman will come back, but it's not for another couple of games. I wish they just had this like really big, athletic, rangy, deep threat with amazing physical skills and gifts and talents. But for some reason, they just won't call Des Bryant. And I don't know what oh, it is. It's true. Well, fortunately, fortunately, they have Kenny Britt still in New England. That's that true. They're going to give him a workout. The best <laughs> thing that the Patriots can do is get a former Cleveland Browns wide receiver, a big target on the outside, you know, use his body in the red zone. That's That's exactly what they should do, an athletic one. Uh, you know, that that's why Kenny Britt. I'm glad that he has some experience in the system. Um, but seriously, the Patriots, breaking news <laughs> on a Monday. Great way to follow up an ugly, ugly loss. The Patriots acquired Josh Gordon from the Cleveland Browns for a fifth-round pick. And that's a conditional fifth-round pick because if Josh Gordon does not play 10 or more games – the Browns have to send the Patriots a seventh-round pick back. So it's just like a, a pick swap if, if George, Josh Gordon doesn't pan out. Alec, there's so many thoughts I have about this trade. What were your initial reactions? 
Yeah, so Ian Rappaport broke this, and the way he broke it was basically the deal was closed. It wasn't finalized. It was probably going to happen, but not sure yet, which initially, man, I thought that was basically the Browns just posturing because there are 30 teams in the NFL that do not want to see Josh Gordon go to the Patriots, and the only two that are not are the Patriots and the Browns themselves. And so I thought maybe they were going to leverage, oh, the Pats are coming in, Brady to Gordon, here we go. Someone better offer us something better. And I thought that was going to happen. Like the Cowboys would swoop in with like a third or second rounder. That was my first thought. And then when it actually happened, I found out it was a conditional fifth round pick. Basically, it's either a, a late fifth round pick or, or an early seventh round pick, the way the trades are going to work out, depending on how the season shakes out. They got them for nothing. There's absolutely zero downside to this move. There's a lot of question marks still. Can Josh Gordon get out of his own head? Will he be a team player? Will he fit in? Will he toe the line? Will he be able to revive his career here? All complete question marks. The guy has not played since 2013, a full season at least. He's very streaky, and who knows what we're going to get. But there is zero downside to this. And if he can come in, he's eligible to play on Sunday night against the Lions. If he can come in and he can be the receiver we've seen him be in the past, this is probably the most talent, pure, talented receiver they've got since Randy Moss, and I cannot wait to see what they can do with him. Oh, absolutely. And th this marks the, the eighth season in a row that the Patriots have traded away their fifth-round pick, which is breathtaking, really. Uh, Marcus Cannon and Lee Smith, those names might ring a bell. Those are in the 2011 draft. Those are the two times that the Patriots drafted, or the last two times that the Patriots drafted in the fifth round with their own picks. Subsequent draft picks have gone for Albert Hainsworth and Chad Ochocinco. Uh, they've also acquired Keyshawn Martin and Barkevius Mingo and Jonathan Casillas and uh, this year, you know, uh, Cordero Patterson with this year's draft pick. And then with next year's draft pick, they get Josh Gordon. And you can add in Joe Cardona, which the Patriots selected in the fifth round as the result of trading down from an earlier pick. And you can also add Jawan Bentley, who the Patriots took in the fifth round this year from the Trent Brown trade, actually. When they acquired Trent Brown, they also got the fifth round pick that turned into Jawan Bentley. But Patriots have no need for fifth round picks, and I'm going to tell you why. You look at the NFL draft value chart, and you look at how players are expected to produce in the NFL based off of being selected when the Patriots pick in the fifth round. You know, like the late fifth round picks. There's no difference between a late fifth-round pick's success rate and that of a seventh-round pick or that of an undrafted player, given you know the, the, that there are a lot more undrafted players. So the Patriots have no need to hold on to a fifth-round pick if they can get a seventh-round pick in return. That's just a great deal. You're getting a player for roughly the same amount of success rate, getting them for cheaper, actually, in the seventh round. So... You make that trade every single time because Josh Gordon is an otherworldly talent and he's able to play. And so, Alec, my question for you, Josh Gordon has played, I believe, 11 games since his absolutely preposterous 2013 season when he was catching footballs <laughs> from Jason Campbell and Brandon Whedon and I believe Brian Hoyer. He's played 11 games since then. Do you have any concerns about his ability to produce in New England? If he can keep himself on the field... The only concern I have, assuming he stays drug-free and he does what he has to do when he's on the field as a player, my only concern is, and you and I have talked about this a couple times in the past, Patriots players, Patriots receivers that come in mid-season via trade tend to lag picking up the playbook. They just do. They have a hard time learning the system. They can't quite get on the same page with Tom Brady. We've seen that happen. Now, on the plus side, 
Gordon's coming from a, a Patriot kind of coached uh, coaching tree in Cleveland. It was not the vocabulary should be similar. Hopefully it won't be a massive relearning process. So I have high hopes for his ability to incorporate into this system. And in terms of just freak talent and physical ability, there's just no comparison a Josh Gordon with an older Chad Unchocinco or Doug Gabriel or Joey Galloway at the tail end of his career. This is probably the best combination of size, scale, and talent and football smarts the Patriots have gotten for a late-round draft pick. The real concern is, again, off-the-field stuff aside, the real concern is can he pick up the playbook? How fast can him and Tom Brady develop a rapport? And how quickly can he start being a member of this offense? I just don't know the answer to that question. I guess time will tell, and we'll see hopefully on Sunday if he dresses up. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's three points that I want to highlight right now. Josh Gordon has been suspended over and over and over again. He seems like he has gotten the help that he needs in order just to have his, his life on track. He's really prioritized that. I fully support him taking time away this off season to, to make sure that all everything was in a row for him. And he took some time away. He's in a good position. And if he's able, you know, if he has everything together and I expect that Jack Easterby and the Patriots will have all the resources available to Josh Gordon to make sure that he is in a good space. I don't see why he can't succeed in New England, because even if he is a new addition to the team, Josh Gordon has done this before. And I know that there you can you can point to offseason camp being super important. You can't undersell that value. But let me point to the games for Josh Gordon's first game back from his suspensions over the past years. 2013, he came back in week three. Ten catches, 146 yards, one touchdown, and a rush for 22 yards. In 2014, he came back in the 11th game of the season. Eight catches, 120 yards. You go to his uh, 2017 season, first game back, four catches, 85 yards. So these are all new systems, new quarterbacks, new everything. He's coming back from suspension, and he's coming out putting up over 100 yards, and he's scoring. If he has that baseline of his experience, I believe that was Scott Zolak that highlighted that uh, the Patriots offense uses similar terminology under Todd Haley because uh, he uses the Charlie Weiss, uh, Earnhardt Perkins sort of style. If he's able to pick up that offense – I legitimately believe that the sky is the limit for Josh Gordon. I believe that I, I'm not saying that the Patriots themselves are able to, you know, heal addiction or anything like that, but he should be in a circumstance better than almost any other franchise in the league to have the assistance that he needs in order to be the best possible Josh Gordon that he can be. Yeah, I hope you're right, man. Again, this is just a really exciting news. It's very rare for us Patriots fans to get excited about a trade, right? It's usually the October deadline comes in and they trade for like a like a Justin Justin Jonathan Castillo, right? Which was it's a good trade, but it's always like a depth guy. It's not like a game changer like this. Randy Moss for the fourth round in 07 is probably the last time I was really stoked about an actual trade the Patriots made. So it's kind of cool to have that that feeling. And I just I'm very curious and I guess cautiously optimistic for what Josh Gordon will be able to do for this Patriots offense. Now, Rich, how do you see the Patriots using him? He's obviously got a lot of physical skills. 
I can't really speak to his root tree that much because I haven't really seen much of him in like five years. So I'm curious as to how you think the Patriots will utilize him, how McDaniels will incorporate him into the offense, and how quickly you think he'll be able to pick up the the, the playbook and, and start catching passes with Tom Brady in a positive way. Yeah, it, it could be some time. I would not be shocked if he – I know that they say that he's going to be healthy enough to contribute against the Detroit Lions, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's inactive for a week or two to let him – fully adjust, be in the right headspace, learn the playbook a little bit, not throw him into the deep end without the proper support that he needs. And if that's the case, maybe I'm, I'm expecting a slow trajectory, but talent rises to the top. I would not be shocked if he became you know, early on a red zone target for the Patriots because they really need one. They've been stalling. They haven't been able to to convert in those jump ball situations if Rob Gronkowski isn't available. I know that Chris Hogan had two touchdowns, so I'm, I'm kind of eating my own words right there, but you need, you need some help is what I'm saying, is what the Patriots offense stalled with against the Jacksonville Jaguars so that they didn't have enough talent on offense to draw away some of the safety help to allow Gronkowski to get those one-on-one opportunities to really shine because none of the wide receivers are going to be able to win they're one-on-ones, you know, and especially if there's safeties over the top. And if you have Josh Gordon out there, and if Josh Gordon is drawing away some of the safety help because he can win on those one-on-ones, if he's winning on those one-on-ones, that requires them to draw the safeties, that will have a trickle-down effect with the Patriots because Rob Gronkowski will be more open. Josh Gordon's presence alone will make it so Chris Hogan faces a less talented defensive back. Philip Dorsett will face a less talented defensive back. And everyone will have a more... favorable scenario and so if we're saying hypothetically josh gordon is ready to go i would expect the patriots to say all right we got josh gordon chris hogan philip dorsett rob gronkowski and a running back that's going to be our base offense i would put chris hogan in the slot he has the ability to move everywhere but the standard you know if we're going to talk about a a 20 or 2007 comparable you got josh gordon on the outside as your randy moss you got Philip Dorsett as your Dante Stallworth. And you got Chris Hogan as your Wes Welker. All clearly varying levels of that type of caliber of player. You throw Rob Gronkowski as uh, as Rob Gronkowski, you know? <laughs> and you have enough <laughs> talent that things will start working. Things will start clicking. Josh Gordon, you just give him those deep post routes. Give him some slants. Let him have the ball. Get familiar in the offense and just let him go. I think that's there's going to be a lot of time before he's fully settled in, but you just give him opportunities where maybe he doesn't need to run as many technical routes, where you just throw the ball up to him in the end zone, see if he comes down with it, and just just let him use his sheer athleticism to dominate defenses. Yeah, you said it best, man. I think at the very least, this is a Patriots receiver that defenses have to account for. I don't think they're accounting for Philip Dorsett or Chris Hogan, but this is a guy, he's on the field. He changes the dynamic of the defensive scheme you're throwing out there because he is a go route away from breaking a game wide open. I remember he had about, I think, 185 yards at the Patriots the last time he played him in 2012. He had a quick little slant. He beat Aqib Talib for a long touchdown. He's an absolute game changer with the ball in his hands. And even if he can't pick up the playbook, him just being on the field should open up the middle of the field for the underneath routes and the crossers. When Edelman comes back, it should allow the running game to thrive a lot more because you can't stack the box and you're not worried. And you're worried more about the receivers getting separation and, and, and Gordon taking over the top of the defense. You can't double if you if you double Gronkowski and Josh Gordon, that 
frees up the middle of the field so much more for James White, for Rex Burkhead, for Edelman, for Jacob Hollister. I just think that having him out there in the most minimal capacity makes every other player around him better strictly because of his physical skill set and giving Tom Brady the opportunity to throw him the ball. I mean, Josh Gordon must be doing backflips right now. Not only is he in the place to revive his career and show the world he can do what he was supposed to do, he's got a legit shot at a deep playoff run. He hasn't won a football game in like five years. Literally, he hasn't <laughs> actually experienced like Victory Monday in five years. He's going to get a couple, some of that, and he's catching passes from the greatest quarterback of all time. I think all the pieces are perfectly in place for him to have a breakout year and do really, really well for himself. And if for no other reason than he's like a guy trying to turn his life around, I wish that for him. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm here mostly for the the red zone packages that include Rob Gronkowski, Jacob Hollister, Josh Gordon, Chris Hogan. And whoever the heck they want to put out there, James Devlin, for all I care. You're just not going to stop all of those six foot three plus receivers that are all extraordinarily talented at breaking free. Put Rex Burkhead out there, I guess. You can go either run heavy, pass heavy. You, you can't stop that. I'm super excited for that, and maybe we'll get our first chance to look at it next week as the Patriots face the Detroit Lions. That game is in uh, Detroit, actually. It's going to be the Sunday night football game at 820. I haven't looked too much at the Matt Patricia-led Detroit Lions other than the fact that they've been shellacked by the, the New York Jets in the season opener. I was watching that Sam Darnold film, and uh, the Lions didn't look great. And then they lost to Jimmy Garoppolo in the 49ers, 30-27 to in Week 2. So they are 0-2. Matt Stafford looks meh. Their offense looks meh. Their defense looks awful. What do you think about uh, next week's game between the Patriots and the Lions? Yeah, look, I mean, Matt Patricia is off to a rough start, to say the least. You don't lose to the Jets like that on national television. But it's a, a very, uh, I guess, disheartening thing to see, because I like Matt Patricia. You know, he, he just uh, he's a guy that did really well with the Patriots. But Tom Brady does pretty well against former defensive coordinators. Uh, Eric Mangini, he's got a re- win-loss record of 4-2. and two. Uh, against uh, Romeo Cornell. He's never lost to Romeo Cornell-led defense, and he's 3-2 and two against Dean Pease. So he's got winning records against all his, famous, all his former defensive coordinators. And if the Patriots' offense can start to click the way we talked about earlier in the podcast, I don't see the Lions able to keep up with the Patriots offensively. Because looking at the, the tail of the tape, they don't have – legit receivers golden tate is a a good receiver but he's pretty much all they have unless you want to count like brandon powell which i i don't um like garrett blunt is the running back but he's i think over the hill he's not doing that great and as you said matt castle is he's matt castle and uh the patriots are going to be able to exploit former patriot Tavon wilson that'll be nice to see and i have to worry about him anymore i think that it's a good matchup for new england it's a primetime game coming off a loss brady's great indoors all the things stack up for the pass to rebound nicely here. Yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely have more breakdown between the Patriots and the Lions in the coming week. Uh, I'm sure we'll have Josh Gordon week at patspulpit.com just because this is so <laughs> freaking exciting. Uh, yeah, the big matchup I will be looking for between the, the Patriots and the Lions is actually just how Matt Patricia and Jim Bob Cooter, their offensive coordinator, I just really wanted to say the name, how they will attack the Patriots linebackers. As I mentioned, they've have Theo Riddick, who's a very talented receiving back out of the backfield. And then they do have three. I know I love Golden Tate. I love Marvin Jones. And Kenny Galladay is a name that 
Lions fans think is going to be a household name by the end of the year. That's what Jaguars fans said to, to me last week about Keelan Cole, so maybe I'll li- listen to these Lions fans. So Kenny Galladay, maybe you should cover him. That, that would be uh, an important <laughs> thing for the Patriots to do. But we'll have more information at patspulpit.com. Alec, before we sign off, do you have any final thoughts? I wonder what number Gordon's going to pick because 12 is very taken. Well, why, why can't he just pay the player that has number 12 and just take it from him? Like, it shouldn't be too I guess hard, he, right? I guess he may, maybe 12.5, like the PSI in football. Do it that way. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be amazing. <laughs> well, we will keep everyone updated. And until next time, you have a good one. You too, buddy. Later, man. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.